Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 24. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I worship the God of my fathers, and I haven't done anything wrong. Paul says they're calling me heretical, and they're calling it a sect, and yet I am the one who believes in all things that denote that written in the law and the prophets. Paul says, listen, I believe the Bible. Paul says, I believe in Isaiah chapter 53, when Isaiah said, He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Paul says, I believe the law and the prophets. Paul says, I believe Zechariah 12, 10 that says they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. Paul says, I believe that the Messiah will come forth as a root out of dry ground. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. Paul says, I believe everything that's written in the law and the prophets. And I'm the one being brought to trial. So I confess that I believe in the Bible. One of the many things that I've learned as I have been studying this book and for several times, this book of Acts, Paul, I love this about Paul. Paul was a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Did you know he was a bold witness? Paul made no bones about what he believed. As he shared his testimony, as he shared the gospel, Paul wasn't afraid to be bold and proclaim that he believed the Bible. He wasn't afraid to preach Christ. Listen, preacher, teacher, Christian, in our preaching, we need to preach Christ. Not just preach. Because the word preach means to proclaim. It's a proclamation. We preach. No, not just preach. Because Oprah's a preacher. I call the high priestess of daytime talk. And Oprah's got many disciples, little Oprahites. It's true. Oprah said, I was in the gym the other day. Heard some ladies say, oh, Oprah said this. Oprah said that. I had to get close. I wanted to hear what Oprah said. (laughs) What else Oprah say? You know, I was out of time. I had to get out of there because I was about to say, who's Oprah? So she got a lot of money. So it doesn't mean that, you know, her preaching is correct. That's another sermon I'll talk about over later. And uh, we preach Christ. That's really very important to preach Christ. And by the way, preacher, teacher, 
Preach Christ and preach Christ with passion. You know, it's nothing worse. You know, the gospel, I was talking to Elvira just yesterday and I said, you know, honey, I love being a preacher. I said, I was just sitting on the couch chilling and I was getting ready for the day. I said, honey, I just love preaching the word. And I said it because, you know, I feel that the gospel is important. And I feel that the Bible is the only means by which men can know God and be set free from themselves. And I feel that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only liberating thing that we have on the planet. And I also feel that preachers and teachers of the word, no matter who you are, what denomination, if you're preaching Christ, then you are carrying a glorious message that is the only hope for the entire world. Am I the only one that agrees with that? And, and, and I said, and I love that. The fact that God has entrusted to us his word. And we need to be preachers of his word and preach it with passion and preach it with purpose and preach it with excitement. There ain't nothing worse to me. Nothing, honey. <laughs> nothing worse than hearing somebody preach the gospel and it's so boring. Can I get a witness? There ain't nothing worse than that. It's like, when is going to be up? And they're just droning on, well, you know, talking about the joy of the Lord and the glorious gospel. It's like, oh, the gospel is glorious. It's a joy to share the gospel. Jesus loves the world. It's like, goodness gracious. How do you expect me to get excited about something that you're not excited about? You know, Spurgeon said this. Put some fire in your sermon or put your sermon in the fire. Then you need to write that down. All right. Put some fire in your sermon or put your sermon in the fire. How can I get it and feel it and be excited about it if you're not? You see, it's important that we share the gospel. Paul boldly proclaimed the gospel. And Paul says, listen, I confess that I believe everything in the Bible. I believe everything written in the law and the prophets, everything about Jesus. And Paul says, I'm the one brought to trial. But here's what he says. Listen close. There is a bigger trial, a bigger judge and a bigger court. It's a day of reckoning. It's when every man stands before God in the resurrection. Notice in verse 15, both of the just and the unjust. Paul says, I'm standing in this trial, but you will stand in a bigger court. I love it. Paul's pretty smart as well. The resurrection of the just and of the unjust. Now listen to this. I'm going to talk to you just a second about this and I'm going to be quick. I would love to talk about this topic for the rest of the week. And we really could as it relates to end times and prophecy and how all of these things work out. But I'm going to try to make it in a nutshell for you. Listen close. The Jewish people believed in the resurrection of the just and the unjust. But they believed that there was one general resurrection that all people who were dead rise at one time. This is what they believe, that all the dead rise at once. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches that there are two, count them, two resurrections. There's the resurrection of the just 
or the first resurrection, and there's the resurrection of the unjust or the second resurrection. The resurrection of the just or the first resurrection, listen, is not an event. It is a period of time. This period of time, are you listening, starts with Jesus, who is the first to rise from the dead. Now, you might say, Rodney, I know my Bible, and I know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. How come he's not the first to rise from the dead? Well, listen, that is true, but Lazarus died again. Amen? Jesus is the first to rise from the grave, never to die again. So the first resurrection begins, it starts with Jesus Christ. It includes all Old Testament saints who died in the faith prior to the resurrection. And get this, it goes all the way through the rapture of the church, the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, there will be the first resurrection or the resurrection of the just who will stand before the Bema, B-E-M-A, the Bema seat of Christ. This is not a judgment of condemnation. It's a judgment of commendation. It is a judgment for rewards. All believers will stand before Jesus in this judgment at the Bema seat judgment to receive rewards. If you're with me so far, say I'm with you. Okay. Point number two, the second resurrection or the resurrection of the unjust takes place when the unrighteous, the unrighteous are standing before the Lord at the great white throne. And the Bible says that the books will be open. The Bible says every idle word, every act committed, every moment of your life since you were born is on record and in a vault stored in heaven and at the great white throne judgment you will not be receiving rewards it will be there that jesus you'll hear those fateful words that jesus says depart from me i never knew you and you don't want to be there i don't know about you but i want to be in the first resurrection that was about only half of y'all you know I'm not so sure. Maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. Am I making myself clear? I want to be in the first resurrection. If you do, wave at me, would you? All right, that's more of y'all now. It's a long day. If you've ever heard someone say to you, all roads lead to God, raise your hand. All roads lead to God. Yeah, we've heard lots of people say that. All roads, people think that. All roads lead to God. And I've actually heard Christians say, no, they don't. Listen, that's wrong. Listen, all roads do lead to God. But it's not what you think. Are you feeling me, my peeps? Oh, it's not what you think. See, all roads do lead to God because the Bible says that all men, all women will stand before God in judgment, some to rewards and some at the great white throne judgment. So all roads do lead to judgment. The question is, every man will meet Jesus as judge or you will meet him as savior. You will meet him one way or another. 
So all roads, I guess, do lead to God. Well, listen, the defense rests. The burden of proof is on them. The court is in recess until Commander Lysias comes to Caesarea to testify. Look at Acts 24, verse 2, if you're with me, say 22. If you're with me, say amen. When Felix heard these things in verse 22, having underlined this, more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. And so he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide a visit for him. Now, fast forward to verse 27. Notice it says in verse 27, after two years, give me your attention. Paul is under arrest. He is in Herod's palace for two years. And they have given him an open door that people can come and visit whenever they want. People with friends, family, whatever, can come in and out. Many scholars believe that it's at this time that Luke, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, made many visits to Paul during this time. And that um, that's how he collected his information to write the book of Acts. Also, if you hold the position that Paul is the author of the book of Hebrews, then many very good scholars believe that Paul would have written the book of Hebrews at this time while he's there for two years in custody. Notice after some days in verse 24, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, I'll tell you about her in a second. She's something else. She got some issues. Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, three things he reasoned about, righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was uh, afraid. He trembled. And he answered and he said, go away from now. And when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. And meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, not that he might release him, and therefore he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Give me your attention before you close your Bibles. Felix, do you notice, did you notice, avoided a decision under the pretense of waiting for more evidence. The pretense of waiting for more evidence. And the reason why I say that is because in verse 22, you want to notice Felix heard these things having more accurate knowledge of the way. He already knew everything that he needed to know. So he's just simply avoiding a situation. He had plenty of knowledge. But see, I believe that Felix at this point is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so under, listen to me, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he says, I'll talk later when Lysias comes, when I can get all the facts together. Notice in verse 23, the Bible tells us in verse 23 that Paul had liberty in Herod's 
palace. Listen, if you go to Israel with us, I think I told you last week, but if you go to Israel with us, we always stop. This is Caesarea, not to be confused with Caesarea Philippi. This is Caesarea, the city, the seacoast city by the Mediterranean. It is absolutely the most beautiful place, one of the many beautiful places actually in Israel. And it's there in uh, Caesarea that we stop and they have excavated even underwater some of the pillars and the platforms of Herod's palace. And it is an unbelievable, beautiful place to be. At the time that Paul would have been there, there was blue waters from the Mediterranean. There would have been palm trees. Paul was for two years at a resort. Would to God I could be arrested. (laughs) And he was just chilling, getting massages and enjoying a resort kind of area there. And he was there for two years. And the interesting thing is, if you study Paul's writings, listen to me, you study Paul's writings, Paul, listen, never considered himself a prisoner of Rome. He never considered himself a prisoner of Rome. As a matter of fact, when you look at the epistles, particularly in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul describes himself not as a prisoner of Rome, but as a prisoner of Christ. Paul never saw himself chained to Rome. I think Paul probably saw Rome chained to him. Because Paul would take every opportunity to preach the gospel. Now notice in verse 24 in your Bibles, after some days, Felix came in with his wife, Drusilla, and asked about faith in Christ. It's like, what? Are these two crazy? I mean, you you ask Paul, hey, Paul, would you uh, talk to me about faith in Christ? Man, Paul's going to unload both barrels on you, man. It's like, what is wrong with you guys? And these guys got some real problems. I mean, when you look up dysfunctional couple in the dictionary, you will see their picture. I mean, they are completely dysfunctional. Get this, uh, Drusilla is about 16 years old at this time, and she is on her third marriage. Felix was brutal, bloody, a robber, a murderer, and a corrupt governor. Drusilla, interesting, is still married at this time and living in adultery with Felix. So they're sitting in front of Paul. Are you getting the scene? They're sitting in front of Paul to share, and Paul's going to share the gospel with them. And Paul begins to reason with them about righteousness, (laughs) temperance, and that self-control, and judgment to come. I think that's a Holy Spirit thing. Paul, the Holy Spirit said, Paul, this couple, they got some issues with righteousness, self-control, and judgment. And the Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul to Drusilla and Felix. And Felix, did you notice the Bible says he was afraid? He began to tremble. And he's probably thinking, I called this guy here to judge him, and he's judging me. And so he trembles and he says, go away. And when it's a convenient time to call, I'll call you again. When it's another time, I'll call you again. The interesting thing is, listen, saints, and listen to me closely right here. This convenient season never comes for Felix. It never comes. Someone once said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's true. 
It's in Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. You know, there are some things in life, listen, that are too important to put on the back burner. And your salvation and whether you are going to be in the first resurrection or the second those things, listen, that's too important for you to put on the back burner. Uh, you need to consider those things and consider them today. You need to seek the Lord today. As a matter of fact, it will never be easier to be saved than it is today. <laughs> what do you mean, Rodney? Because tomorrow, listen, you will have more sins to repent of, less time to repent in, and a harder heart to repent with. That's why the Bible says, Today is the day of salvation. If any man, woman, boy, or girl hears the voice of the Holy Spirit, harden not your heart. The Bible says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Will it be God or man? This day, not tomorrow, but this day. And Felix missed his opportunity this day by telling Paul, come back later for another season. I'll talk to you. There won't be another season. Listen, Satan seeks to get people to procrastinate when it comes to their salvation. I'm still young, Rodney. I got a place to go, people to see, things to do, man. Really? Well, how do you know you're going to get to go those places, see those people, and do those things? You don't know. Because tomorrow ain't promised to no one. Yep, I said it ain't promised to anyone. Go to the graveyard and ask them. <laughs> if you could. Hey, did you think you were going to die the day you died? They'll say, nope. Because no one expects to die the way they, the day they die, maybe even the way they die. But nobody expects to. And why is it that our salvation and our eternity is the most important thing and the only lasting thing. And it is the thing that we put off and put off and put off and procrastinate about. I know people that have been coming to this church for two years. And perhaps you're here and you've told me this. And you've said, hey, I, you know, I, went to, I came to Calvary for a couple of years and you know, I finally gave my life to Christ. And I'm like, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But it's interesting, it took you two years to give your life to Christ. You know, you need to do it today. You need to give your life to Jesus today. You know, we live in a culture where it seems that even in the church that there's no urgency. That there's no urgency. Oh, you can get saved whenever. No, you need to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit today while there's still time. Amen. I'll read you a fictional story, and I'm going to close with this. Listen close. Once Satan, this is Satan's powerful lie to tell people there's no hurry. The stories of a meeting held by Satan. Listen, this meeting's held by Satan with his demons, and they're trying to figure out how to trick people into eternal damnation or separation from God. And so the first demon said, are you listening? The first demon said, tell them there is no God. No, Satan said. All of creation declares the reality of God. People are too smart to deny his existence. 
A few idiots might get sucked in, but not the masses. Well, the second demon said, tell them there is no hell. No, Satan said. People understand there needs to be retribution and judgment. People won't buy that. And then the third demon said, instead of saying no God and no hell, tell them there's no hurry. And Satan responded, that's it. Go and tell them there is no hurry and we will ruin them by the thousands. There's a lot of people who think that there is no hurry. The church and people as a whole have lost their sense of urgency. Isn't that true? And we need to give our lives to Christ today. It is urgent. You need to do it today. It was in Joel chapter 3, verse 14. And it says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Many people are in the valley of decision. Many here this morning are in the valley of decision. And perhaps you've been coming to this church a while. I know there's a lot of unsaved people that come to Calvary Chapel. And I'm blessed you're here. Every man, woman, boy, and girl finds himself in the place whether you will choose Christ or not. What resurrection do you want to be in? The first resurrection of the just or the second resurrection of the unjust? It's your choice. You're in the valley of decision. And I say, saints, and you would agree, we need to choose Christ. Amen. We need to choose to know, to love, and to serve Jesus and to give our hearts to him. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.